When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome into Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Michelle Smallman. My partner today is Gabe Neitzel. Gabe, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Feeling great on a Friday. You know, you just have those those anxious energies of just about, you know, I'm in Wisconsin and it's a, it's a hair warm but we don't get many great weekends, right? So, like, any time <laughs> that you feel like you're gonna about to have a really good weekend, like, you get those anxious feelings right about this time on a Friday afternoon. So, before the show, we were throwing around some ideas. We were just getting set for the day. And every day is National Something-Something Day. Earlier in the week, it was National Chocolate Milkshake Day or Coffee Milkshake Day, whatever it was. Today is Coffee National... Milkshake? Yeah, so hyper-specific, right? <laughs> well, today, Gabe, is National Get Gnarly Day, which... Oh, sweet. I, I don't know how, you know, Friday, July 28th is deemed National Get Gnarly Day, but I feel like we should take that essence into the show today. Yeah, let's get rad. Okay, well, you know who did get a little gnarly? Sean Payton. He got a little gnarly in his interview with USA Today. He did not hold back about the mess he inherited from Nathaniel Hackett, his predecessor with the Denver Broncos. He said it was one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history, Gabe. He said that. There were 20 dirty hands around what happened with Russell Wilson in his performance last year. He just basically made everybody know that Nathaniel Hackett had a terrible job and then promptly pointed the finger at the Jets today saying, look at what they're doing now. Everything that Nathaniel Hackett did last year, we're doing the opposite, but hard knocks and everything that the Jets are doing, you wait and see. It's going to be a disaster. I'm paraphrasing there. But what were your initial thoughts when you saw that Sean Payton did not hold back and went in on Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets? Well, I don't think he really needed A to point out. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett was a first-year head coach who got fired before the season was over. I think it was pretty obvious that the (laughs) the Broncos more or less agreed with his assessment when they decided to do that. And... I, I was surprised he went after another head coach. I was even more surprised that he decided to throw the current general manager in, in, in Denver under the bus with everything as well. Oh, he was a part of the problem too. And, and I understand he was just trying to go out there and defend Russell Wilson. Right. Probably because he felt he had to because Russ didn't have a very good season. But apparently everybody was, everybody out there was to blame other than Russ, which also puts a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson this year because, and Sean Payton, because if Wilson struggles again, well, maybe Russ had a little bit of a hand in some of those struggles for the Denver Broncos a year ago, but he, it was just so completely unnecessary to draw attention to himself and the Broncos when they had been kind of flying under the radar ever since he was hired this offseason. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett was fired after, what, 15 games? We all know it was mm-hmm. a disaster. We all know it didn't work out. But for him to come out and say that it wasn't Russell Wilson's fault that his personal quarterback coach had access to the facility and basically say all of this stuff that was that was out there about Russ wasn't his fault. And this was 
people in the room who needed to be adults and they weren't. I understand he was trying Doesn't, to defend Russ and and gas him up a little, give him a little confidence. But to me, it did the complete opposite. You yeah. revealed that Russell needs preferential treatment and he thinks that he should be able to do whatever he wants. And you kind of just outlined all of the reasons why he's been having some of these issues. By saying that you needed to have adults in the room to make the adult decisions, doesn't that also imply that Russell Wilson is not an adult and can't be trusted? Essentially, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, I mean, that, you, that's basically what you said without saying it. Is that, oh, we, they needed to make these better decisions for Russ because apparently Russ can't be trusted to make the right decisions on his own. So while I was a little shocked at the approach, while I was reading the tea leaves and what he was trying to do, and I don't really think he stuck the landing, I loved, Gabe, that there was some drama. I loved that there oh, was some yeah. beef brewing between Sean Payton and Robert Sala. What what did he say yesterday, Robert Sala? If you ain't got haters, you ain't popping. I mean, I didn't think we'd have that quote <laughs> on July 27th. Amazing. But Sean Payton spoke. He spoke during his presser, and... I think he saw all all of us talking about it. He heard everything everyone was saying. He realized he was in the headlines. And unfortunately, Gabe feels like he's walking it back a little. Here's what Sean Payton had to say in regards to those comments he made to USA Today. I had one of those moments where I still had my Fox hat on and not my coaching hat on. You know, I said this to the team in the meeting yesterday. We've had a great offseason relative to that, you know, and I've been preaching that message. And here I am, the veteran, you know, stepping in it. It was it was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake. Obviously, I needed a little bit more filter. There's a pound of flesh for these guys. And as a coach, you stick up for them. And after a while, we're past that season last year. And, you know, I said what I said. And obviously, I needed it a little bit more restraint and uh, i regret that Hmm. what do you think about that gabe you think that he was just as he said with his fox hat on giving too many takes too many hot takes instead of being a little bit more reserved in his analysis now that he's a head coach again did he did he really apologize for what he said or did he apologize for saying it out loud like it doesn't seem like he was apologizing for or or saying that he was wrong in his assessment. It just seems like I you know, I feel this way. I just shouldn't have said it out loud. That that's kind of what that felt like to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he's necessarily walking it back cuz it seems like he's still, you know, he said in there I said what I said. So it seems like he's standing by what he said. He's just regretting saying it out loud to a reporter. Well, he specifically called out Nathaniel Hackett for the job he did in Denver. He talked about the current state of the Jets. As we mentioned, Robert Sala did respond yesterday. Here's Sean Payton about those two specifically and what's going to happen moving forward. At the right time, I think the world of Robert, I know him. I don't know Nathaniel, but at the right time. It certainly will bring more interest to the game and when we play him, but that seems like years from now. I'll handle it the right way. He'll handle it the right way. If you're Gabe, if you're Nathaniel Hackett or Robert Sala, are you picking up that phone call? Because I'm not. I'm uh, I'm I'm letting it go to voicemail. I'm leaving him on red. If I'm Hackett, yes. If I'm Hackett, I'm not. And and I know that number is coming across. It's probably Sean Payton. I'm not answering. I I feel like Robert Sala will take that call when it comes because I feel like Robert Sala is ended up just like taking the collateral damage here. (laughs) It's not like Robert Robert Sala all off season has been. We don't want hard knocks. We don't want hard knocks. We don't want hard knocks. Well, I guess we'll have to deal with hard knocks since the NFL decided to choose us and we were forced into it because of the contract that they have with HBO and they need to have a team. 
So it's not like Sala went out there. Yes, they got Aaron Rodgers, and that that is a circus that is going to be coming to town and has come to town. They have been the talk of the NFL offseason because Aaron Rodgers is a four-time NFL MVP, and players like that don't get traded every day. So it's understandable why they're getting all that attention, but like Sala didn't really do anything. He's probably looking around going, wait, what did I do? I, I I wanted to get a better a better quarterback for my team. Went out and did that. Didn't want to be on hard knocks. Have to do that. And now I'm taking strays from Sean Payton. Like so, I, I can see Robert Sala picking up that call. But Nathaniel Hackett, absolutely not. Um, for Sean Payton to go after you that hard in the paints certainly was unnecessary. And then at the same time, it's not like, oh, I'm sorry, I said that about Nathaniel. I just got carried away. No, he still stood by what he said about Nathaniel Hackett being not being one of the worst NFL head coaches of all time, but doing one of the worst jobs as an NFL head coach of all time. See, if I'm Hackett, I'm certainly declining after you just blasted me publicly and said, said what I what I tried to do last year was one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history. History, Even if it was, you didn't need to take that shot at me. I've moved on. If I'm Robert Sala, I'm also not taking the call. And you want to know why, Gabe? Because they need motivation in that locker room. They understand the pressure that's surrounding them. But when everybody's talking about Super Bowl or bust, to have one of the other head coaches in the NFL pointing the finger at you and calling you out, and, say, and saying it's going to be a disaster. That is free motivation for the New York Jets. If I'm Robert Sala, I do not want to dampen that fire at all. I want to throw more logs on it. I want to, I want to print out these quotes and put it on the bulletin board, and I want to give these guys as much of a chip on their shoulder as I possibly can. You know, everyone's saying it's Super Bowl or bust. Great, but look at this guy. He thinks that we're a joke. He thinks we're a laughingstock. One of the, one of the great coaches that's coached in this league. How are you going to respond? I would definitely use it as motivation. October 8th just got a little bit more interesting when these two teams end up playing, that's for sure. <laughs> like, like wh- Whoever's going to end up broadcasting that game is just licking their chops because they know all the pre-production work that they're going to put into that because that's going to be the storyline. They play early enough in the season, that is going to be the storyline when these two teams play each other later this year. Oh, there's no doubt about it. So you you mentioned that there's pressure now on Russell Wilson. Well, there was always pressure, but I think now with Sean Payton pointing the finger squarely at Nathaniel Hackett and saying this was not Russell Wilson's fault, I believe he's still got it. He hasn't lost a step. There's there's a lot of pressure on him. There's also a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Who do you think has more pressure on them between these two guys, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? Because it's both for very different reasons. I'm just going to lean towards Aaron Rodgers just because – we just saw pretty much the entire offseason Russell Wilson kind of fly underneath the radar. And I think once the season started starts, certainly he'll rise kind of a little bit more and be talked about a little bit more, especially if the Broncos start to do well. But the Jets, being in New York, having Aaron Rodgers, who I mean, over the last two or three years has garnered probably the most attention of any NFL player out there, the pressure is squarely on Aaron Rodgers because we don't, even though he reworked his deal this week, said, hey, I want to give a multi year commitment to the Jets. We don't know if it's going to be for sure two years in New York for Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. This seems to be, you know, it's certainly possible it's a one and done, you know, opportunity for Aaron Rodgers in New York. So to me, that lands the most pressure on Rodgers versus Wilson. See, and I think there's more pressure on Russell Wilson than Aaron Rodgers. I know that. Aaron Rodgers is in a bigger market, and the expectations for the team are certainly higher. People are talking about them in the Super Bowl. Well, that's not necessarily what we're saying about the Broncos. I think that 
Russell Wilson is out of people to point the blame at. Aaron Rodgers is coming to a new team, and he hopefully will have a two-year window there. And um, it's it seems like everything's pretty copacetic with him so far in New York. If Russell Wilson comes out and he does not have a bounce-back year, he can't blame Seattle. He can't blame the people around him. He can't blame Nathaniel Hackett. Sean Payton has already come out and said he still got it. And I think most people will look at Russell Wilson and say, if Sean Payton can't fix him, if Sean Payton can't develop a scheme that's friendly for him and we can't see him thrive with this guy— I think we're we're talking about him as a quarterback and his legacy in a totally different way. Yeah, because it be, it becomes twofold. What what Seattle did without him last year, I think then gets magnified if Russ continues to struggle because then okay, that last year in Seattle, clearly Russ was part of the problem. Look what Geno Smith did almost with the same team, ended mm-hmm. up making a run to the playoffs as Denver struggled. If that narrative continues, yeah, it's it, the the legacy of of Russell Wilson, I agree with you, certainly seems to be on the line. He's Gabe Neitzel. I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canty and Carlin, and it is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow was carted off the practice field today after what appeared to be a non-contact injury to his lower right leg. These things can range from days, five to seven days for a mild injury, to multiple weeks if it's something more severe. Half injuries usually sideline players multiple weeks, but mixed in with the backdrop of his unsettled contract situation, you have to wonder if we'll see Burrow again before his name gets signed. And Gabe, everyone in Cincinnati, most people who are NFL fans in general, held their collective breath yesterday after Joe Burrow was carted off the field during practice. So he was rolling to his right during drills. He pulled up short. It was a non-contact injury. He had a sleeve on that right calf. You saw him hopping around, favoring his left leg. He then sat on the ground. He was carted off. Everyone was waiting for word, and we got... Uh, word yesterday from his head coach, Zach Taylor, that it was a calf strain. The Bengals tweeted, everyone, please stop calling and offering off your calf muscles. It doesn't work like that. Joey will be back. So I mean, it doesn't work like that with an attitude like that, Bengals. If you had a better attitude, maybe it would work like that. Exactly. Um, but seemingly, and, and we're waiting for him to come back, seemingly this is going to be a minor setback for Joe Burrow, and which is great news for the Bengals and also great news for Joe Burrow because after Justin Herbert got paid, uh, he's now the highest paid player in NFL history, $252 million gave. Joe Burrow's next in line. He's about to get his bag, secure the bag, as they say. And I have to wonder if while he's nursing this injury, if his representation is not telling him, you, this could have been bad and you're in line to get paid. Maybe let's make sure the ink is dry on this contract, on this new deal before we go out there. How do you think that this injury may impact Burrow's contract negotiations with the Bengals? I mean, maybe it speeds up a little bit, but even if this would have been a really bad injury and he would have missed, you know, significant time this year, we've seen enough of Joe Burrow over the last handful of years to know that. He's one of those guys. Like, you would just, I mean, he is somebody that you pay. And I, to be honest, because it was one of the first things I thought of before we got any more information about it, I thought about Kevin Durant when everybody thought that was a calf injury. Ended up being an Achilles injury when he injured it in the finals, had to sit up for an entire year. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Durant still ended up getting paid because he's one of those guys. So with Joe Burrow, again, does it look to be all that serious? He'd probably still get paid, but. 
with the NFL, you always want to make sure you get it. And especially with the Bengals, a team that, that's got a bit of a reputation in terms of dragging their feet with some of their stars over the years and in terms of making sure they get paid when you know it's their turn. And it's certainly Joe Burrow's turn. Maybe you just drag your feet a hair just to put a little bit of pressure on that front office. I don't know if you're the Bengals why you'd want to wait. I know you want to make sure that financially you're getting what you consider to be the best possible deal for your side. But we all know that he's going to get paid. We all know that there is absolutely no reason why he's not going to supersede Justin Herbert's contract. If that's what Justin Herbert commands, you know Joe Burrow is going to get more. He is more valuable to that franchise. He has more proven success. It's going to happen. And now I know that he has said he's conscious of T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and some other contracts that need to happen for the Bengals. So that's certainly part of the equation here. But if I was the Bengals, I would just want to get it done. I I would want him to be able to go into this season with peace of mind and not have it be a question. But will Joe Burrow's injury speed up these contract negotiations at all with the Bengals? Here's our ESPN NFL front office insider, Mike Tannenbaum. Yes. What I would be saying to him is that, hey, look, you know, we're going to take care of two things. We're going to take care of your calf and we're going to take care of your contract. And they're both equally important. You're, you're too valuable to this franchise, to the city. Um, presumably, Harry, I, I think they're really, really close. Um, you know, once Herbert got done, um, you know, we've seen in the offseason, you know, be it, you know, Jalen Hurts and then Justin Herbert and, you know, this evolution of the quarterback market. So I think to me, um, they have to be close. And I would just take that issue off the table and just say, hey, we're going to get this done before you're back on the field. I'm with Mike T there, Gabe. I I would just get it done. Let's just let's just close this chapter and let's have you get healthy and look forward to a hopefully another very productive season. Let's try to get to another Super Bowl. That's what I'd be thinking. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. When you have a talent like this, it, who's had the success, right? Like you, you take a look at what Justin Herbert's done, and certainly he's put up all the stats, and his jersey's one of the highest-selling jerseys. Well, he hasn't had quite the success yet. In the postseason, not to say he won't. I mean, he's still incredibly young in his career, and Joe Burrow's kind of ruined the curve for him, already going to a Super Bowl and going to a couple of AFC Championship games. But it's only a matter of time before they get this thing done. Like quarterbacks like this, teams don't you know, teams don't want to do anything to disrupt that relationship that you have with a young quarterback like this. It's his turn. They're going to get the contract done. And hey, yeah, now if you got a little bit of time. Okay, he's going to be out for a little bit. Hey, by the time you're back on the field, we're going to make sure that you get paid, and we're going to make sure that you're paid accordingly. And good on Burrow, by the way, if he ends up taking a little bit less so he can make sure that his teammates, some of the weapons that have helped him have the success that they've had in the postseason, can get theirs too. We'll see if and when the deal gets done. He's Gabe Neitzel. I'm Michelle Smallman. You could always tweet us. I'm at msmallman. He's at gneitzel16. Coming up next here on Canty and Carlin, how much time will Joe Burrow miss? And when is he going to get that new deal from Cincinnati? We're going to speak with one of our NFL insiders after Gabe has this word from Indeed. If the July heat is making you sweat your staffing situation, then visit Indeed. Their end-to-end hiring solution is the number one source for hires in the U.S., according to Talent Nest. When you sponsor a job, you get matched instantly with candidates whose resumes on Indeed meet your job description. And you can even earn up to $500 in sponsored job credits when you conduct virtual interviews on the website. Terms and conditions apply. Get started at Indeed.com slash credit. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. 
Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. 41 days away. The countdown to kickoff is indeed on. Alongside Gabe Neitzel, I'm Michelle Smallman. It's Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk a little NFL with our ESPN senior NFL reporter, Jeremy Fowler. Jeremy, we heard the word yesterday, Joe Burrow goes down with a calf strain during Bengals practice yesterday. Hopefully it's not too uh, too much of a lingering injury, but do you expect to see Joe Burrow back out on the field with the Bengals before he gets a new contract? Well, certainly it's a best-case scenario with a calf strain, so they're happy about the injury situation, but they'll probably rest him for a little bit. I would consider him day-to-day loosely at this point, and you know, the contract is something they've been chipping away at a little bit, but still needs some time. I wouldn't consider it close, and so if it takes a while, maybe he will take that practice field before. I don't know that that's been determined yet, as far as a hard and fast rule for the player. But certainly, uh, regardless of the money they want to, you know, they're going to pay him, even if he gets hurt. Like, this, you know, he's their franchise, top quarterback in the league, one of the best. So it's going to get done. It just depends on when. He's been pretty open about talking about making sure, you know, there's still money left over for some of the weapons that he has. Do you expect that contract to kind of reflect that, or do you expect it to surpass what we just saw uh, Justin Herbert get earlier this week? Yeah, it will almost certainly surpass Herbert. It was almost set up where whichever quarterback went first, Herbert or Burrow, uh, the next guy was going to surpass him. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, Burrow's a little more accomplished and probably higher in the pantheon, you know, because he went to the Super Bowl. And and Herbert's right there, obviously, but he just hasn't had his playoff success. And so he puts up a big number, which is friendly for Herbert for the most part. Usually when you do a deal this early in a rookie contract, it's got to be a long deal for the team, you know, five years or so. And that's, I think the Bengals in a perfect world, from what I hear, would like to do a lot longer than that. Uh, maybe not as long as Patrick Mahomes' 10-year deal, but something long. And I don't know the Burrow would go for that. So maybe five years is a sweet spot. 
our ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler joining us here on Canty and Carlin. And Jeremy, uh, another big storyline coming out of yesterday was Sean Payton's comments that he made to USA Today, specifically about Nathaniel Hackett and the job he did with the Broncos last season. He called it one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL, said that there were 20 dirty hands around Russell Wilson's career worst season. He has since walked those comments back and says that he's going to reach out to Robert Sala and Nathaniel Hackett himself. But when you read those comments, when you heard what Sean Payton said, were you surprised? Because we usually don't see head coaches point the finger at one another in that manner. I was very surprised. Even if it was calculated, rarely do you see that. You're right. And so I tried to digest it. I think the most underplayed part of his comments were that he kind of threw the GM under the bus, too. That's the guy that he's working directly with, George Payton, who, yeah, sure, you could say he made a mistake hiring Nathaniel Hackett, but he's considered a, a well-respected personnel man. And now he's got to work with Sean Payton in, in potentially an awkward situation. I, I think Sean was just trying to, I, I can only assume, uh, alleviate pressure off of his quarterback after a really rough year uh, by sort of, you know, deflecting a little bit and applying the pressure on people who are no longer there, mostly Nathaniel Hackett. So I do think it's calculated in that way. This is a guy who's been around a long time. You know, he's pretty media savvy, so you know, he knows what kind of seeds he wants to plant. Taking a look at uh, down in Miami with Jalen Ramsey now undergoing surgery to repair a meniscus uh, damage that he has in his left knee, expected to be out, not clearly not be ready for the start of the season. How big of a deal yeah. is that for Miami? Just because I mean, the AFC is so stacked and it seems that any injury just kind of shrinks your margin for error. Sure. Well, it's not an insurmountable loss, but it's a big loss and one that they would have to overcome by committee. You know, they drafted Cam Smith, cornerback that they really like. Uh, but Vic Fangio has shown he prefers uh, a seasoned player as opposed to a rookie. You know, Patrick Sertan, a guy here in Denver, was sort of the exception to that rule uh, a couple of years ago when, when Fangio was still the head coach. So uh, they have Xavier Howard, who's still a number one type cornerback, and they like a couple of their young players, too. So they have enough. Like, they've had pretty good depth there outside of Ramsey, but you know, the question now is, do they go after a veteran-type player? And, uh, you know, we'll see. There's just not a lot out there at the moment at the cornerback spot. You saw Marcus Peters sign with the Raiders, but that was a pretty relative low money. So, um, you know, if they, if they feel like they can add to the roster, maybe they'll do that. Our ESPN senior NFL reporter, Jeremy Fowler, joining us here on Canteen Carlin on ESPN Radio. And, Jeremy, Earlier this month, you put out a great piece at ESPN.com where execs, coaches, and scouts ranked the NFL's top 10 quarterbacks for 2023. Yeah. It was it was a very fascinating look into the way those in the league view the quarterbacks. Who's somebody that was right outside the cusp of that top 10 that you think will firmly make their place in the top 10 after this season? I'm sorry, at which position? Quarterback? At quarterback, yes. I would say, you know, it was... Kirk Cousins has never been in my exec's top 10 in the last four years, but he keeps getting closer and closer every year. So I think he was 11th or 12th. Um, so I would say Cousins potentially, especially in a contract year, he might put up big numbers again. And then Deshaun Watson is the clear one. You know, he's a top five to seven talent. There's no question at that position. He just goes you know, rusty after two years, struggled in the six games he played. The time on task is an issue there, but – yeah, he's more comfortable now in that system. I think Kevin Stefanski is going to bring out the best of him, uh, and he's got some weapons around him. So I, I would expect he's in there somewhere next year. All right, Jeremy, I need you to look into your crystal ball because Dalvin Cook is visiting the Jets this weekend. 
Is it more likely he leaves New York without a deal, or is he going to stay there and be a new running back for Aaron Rodgers and company? Well, there's a feeling that certainly the Jets could try to close this thing while he's there. You know, he's doing the media tour a little bit Friday and Saturday in New York, and then he's tentatively scheduled to meet with the Jets on Sunday. He could also meet with the Patriots, who have discussed with Cook meeting uh, with him in New England, bringing him along, kind of like they did with DeAndre Hopkins. But, you know, that's, I think that it sort of hinges on what happens with the Jets in a lot of ways. You know, Miami had a chance to close this, and I, I do believe they're still in it, but – you know, they just didn't really go over the top to make it happen, and they've left the door open for the Jets now. So uh, I would call them the favorite, but, you know, it's, a lot has to shake out for them to make sure that everybody's comfortable. And, you know, I, I think it's still open to an extent. Jeremy, who do you like to come out of that division? Do you think the Bills are still the leader in the clubhouse in the AFC East? I would put them there just because of the track record, at least, you know, averaging about 12 wins a year for the last four years. And, you know, they, the roster is still really good, so it's not like it's taking a step back. And I think the offense, in a lot of ways, will be better. Because last year they were transitioning from you know, leaving Brian Dayball, him going to New York. Josh Allen looked a little overworked with the running and passing, and just, you know, a lot was on the shoulders. A lot happened to the team emotionally with the DeMar Hamlin situation and other injuries. So they're still well-positioned, but I like Miami's roster a lot. Jalen Ramsey's injury notwithstanding. And so, you know, certainly a move could be made by them. I think that they've sort of, you know, people are sort of catching on to them now, but it's a really good roster. Great information from our ESPN senior NFL reporter, Jeremy Fowler. Be sure to follow him on social media at ESPN. Thanks for the time, Jeremy. Have a great weekend. Awesome. You too. Thanks so much. He's Gabe Neitzel. I'm Michelle Smallman. And coming up next on Canty and Carlin, the Yankees, they're in last place, but objection. The reigning AL MVP returns tonight. What does this mean for the Bronx Bombers? We're going to talk about it next. Keep it here on ESPN Radio. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Fly ball, right field, Tucker back, turning, looking, see ya. The other way, into the second deck, a three-run shot. The game is tied. I think he's as close to Derek Jeter as we have. Hmm. If you're a Yankee fan, man, he says the right thing. He's a pro. He's a sweet, sweet soul. And he's a beast. What a description there, Gabe Neitzel. I'm Michelle Smallman. Aaron Judge, a sweet, sweet soul. That's also a beast. Pretty great way to be described. I, I'm surprised Eric Hanman back there in Bristol is not just throwing a huge party. I mean, he's basically throwing a party on the radio right now. He is he, so excited yes. for the return of Aaron Judge. That's right. He's rejoicing because the reigning AL MVP is back. He's back for the Bronx Bombers. He's been out of the lineup since June 3rd when he tore a, tore a ligament. He crashed through the gate making a catch at Dodger Stadium. But he's going to be back. He's going to play against the Baltimore Orioles. You can tune into an AL East battle tomorrow night as the Orioles host the Yankees. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. And it's our weekend preview brought to you by Geico. Switch to Geico today and see all the ways you can save. It's easy. Just simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote and get started seeing how much you could save. And Gabe, the Yankees, they need this. They need a a shot of life and Aaron Judge returning at just the right time for them. I'm also willing or waiting, excuse me, to see how his return impacts them on the field and what they're going to do at the trade deadline. 
Yeah, I mean, they are in last place right now in their division, but it's a tight, you know, they're only a game back of the Red Sox. But the one thing that has really held back the Yankees has been that offense, bottom third of the league in run scored. So presumably the return of Aaron Judge certainly going to help that. I I can't imagine them being sellers at the deadline uh, coming up on Tuesday. So I got to imagine they're going to try to add something. But I'm not quite sure what's out there. I mean, Otani, you know, supposedly has been pulled off the market at this point. You know, what are the Cubs going to do? They've won five in a row. They're back to 500. So Bellinger, who's been a name out there for the Cubs, certainly has been somebody that's been mentioned as potentially trade bait where the Cubs could add a prospect or two. But if the Cubs decide, hey, we're going to make a run a wild card in the National League, part of you know Major League Baseball expanding the postseason, more teams think they're alive, so there are less teams out there that have pieces to sell away to some of these contenders. Absolutely, and you know this is an underachieving group, no doubt. But if you are the Yankees, you're hoping that you're getting healthier, starting with Aaron Judge, and if you're considering whether you're going to be buyers or sellers, you don't really have a ton to sell. When the Yankees were linked to Shohei Otani, everyone's like, oh, the Yankees, the Yankees, because they'll, you know, have the money to sign him long term. And I kept looking at the Yankees farm system and I'm like, what could they offer the Angels that is going to be a package enticing enough for them to acquire Shohei Otani? Even if you throw Anthony Volpe into the mix, they just really don't have a ton that's attractive, I think, to other teams. So I, I'm, I'm looking at the state of them right now, Gabe, and I think that they're in a position where they're going to have to be buyers at the deadline. As a girl from St. Louis, I, I'm reading up a lot on what the Cardinals are expected to do, talking to some of my people out there. The Cardinals and the Yankees linked a lot to potential deals, whether it's for a pitcher, per, perhaps a Jack Flaherty. Um, you know, Dylan Carlson's name has been thrown out there as an outfielder if Cody Bellinger isn't in the mix. So they're they're making phone calls, and it seems as if they're going to be active at the deadline. I don't know if it's going to be enough to improve their place in the standings and get them back where they want to be, but I would be very surprised if we don't see the Yankees be active at the deadline. Yeah, because they have to do something. You know, again, it, it, it should be a boost getting Aaron Judge back, and that's going to be the biggest boost they get, even bigger than any sort of trade they get, clearly, when you get the reigning AL MVP back in your lineup. But it's clear that they need to do something if they want to be one of those teams that's playing for a wild card spot come late October. Gabe Neitzel, Michelle Smallman, it's Canteen Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And Gabe, here in Canteen Carlin, we love to look at what national day it is. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, Snarly. today is National Get Gnarly Day. It's the last Friday in July. I, I don't know exactly what that means. It, it, oh, here, I, I'll Google it. I, it feel just like, says, I feel like I should have known this before. Not that I have any tank tops in my wardrobe that I could have <laughs> worn today, but I feel like I feel like I'm overdressed, you know, not having a tank top on getting gnarly day. Okay, well, it says that according to research, aka Google, that National Get Gnarly Day encourages everyone celebrating it to push past their boundaries. So, Part of that might be for me directly because today is also also National Water Park Day and I hate water parks. I do not like a public pool. I don't want to go walk around in my swimsuit. Those water shoes, disgusting. Not only are they gross to look at and they give you terrible tan lines, every time you're walking it's like squish, squish, squish and the water's going everywhere your feet get wrinkled i mean it's just a disaster all around you know what people are doing in those public pools so maybe national get gnarly day is for it there is not enough chlorine on earth we all know what everyone's doing in those pools gabe so i am out on water parks what say you see so as an adult yes i am i haven't been to a water park in years that being said so i am in wisconsin 
And we have what's called the water park capital of America. Water, oh. It might even be of the world. It's called Wisconsin Dells. Uh, you know, water parks such as Noah's Ark, plenty of water rides. And like, as a kid, every year we would go to Wisconsin Dells and go to all the different water parks that they have to offer there. And as a kid, man, there is nothing better than on a hot summer day going down every water park ride you can imagine. Like, yes, as an adult, not as an enjoyable, but... <laughs> As like an eight, nine, ten year old kid, oh, I looked forward to that day every single summer going up to the Wisconsin Dells and, and going down all the different water slides that they had. So refreshing. You're not, because again, you're, you're innocent. You're not thinking about what other kids right. are doing in the pool, even if you happen to be doing it yourself. Oh, are you admitting this on national radio, what okay. you were doing in the pool? There, See, this is why I don't want to go, Gabe. Okay, so Michelle, there's two types of people in this world people who admit that they've, they've peed in pools before and liars. All right, there's two. <laughs> That's, that's what we're dealing with here, all right? We can all just be honest with each other here today on Canty and Carlin, or we can just continue to lie to each other. We have a choice. Am I a weirdo that I'm getting out of the pool to use the restroom? Am I just to assume that everyone in any pool, whether it's public or private, is just letting it go? Well, I mean, so look, I mean, more often than not, you're going to want to get to the you know restroom, but... Sometimes you're having too good of a time, and you kind of forget, <laughs> and next thing you know, it's just, you know, hey... It's all water around you. You're not that concerned about it. Again, you're you're nine, eight, nine years old. Who cares? There's wow. a reason why the kiddie pool is always warm. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. And clearly, the ad- are you doing this as an adult, Gabe? Are you no. an admitted pool no, peer? I, I have not. I couldn't even tell you the last time I was in a pool um, as an adult, just because. Yes, I don't trust other people. But yes, that, that, after becoming an adult, there's no excuse. I'm saying, yeah. as a kid, you know, you're out there, you're having a good time, and whatever, and you know, let you know, let bygones be bygones. But yes, as an adult, there's no excuses. You should not be peeing in the pool. Yeah. That, that's one of the things you got to grow out of. I am avoiding water parks and public pools at all costs. There's not enough chlorine in the world for your girl and people to do sh- it. And shower too before you get in the pool, all right? Yeah, I mean. It's off, right? Yeah, sand. There's a lot happening here. He's Gabe Neitzel. I'm Michelle Smallman. That was Shannon Penn. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the Jets on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.